First Look is brought to you by Queer Wedding Ally Training, a framework to inclusify your wedding business in seven days so that you can stay relevant in an evolving industry without feeling awkward or tokenistic. Head to www.queerweddingallies.com for more info. Marriage equality has fundamentally changed the way that we view, celebrate, and affirm the union of marriage. My name is Hank Paul, and I'm a wedding photographer based in Sydney, Australia. And throughout this series, I'm taking a look at some of the history of marriage equality through the lens of my fellow LGBTQ wedding professionals, the highs and lows of working in an evolving industry, and I will attempt to answer the question, what does the future of the wedding industry look like? You're listening to First Look, how marriage equality is transforming the wedding industry. If you haven't listened to part one, I encourage you to pause right here, go back and catch up. We left off the episode acknowledging that with the introduction of marriage equality, the wedding industry has been on a trajectory of evolution and inclusion. For me, I never saw myself getting married until I had the pleasure of photographing my first queer wedding. But for Maria and Kirsten, who we met last episode, the idea of getting married was always on their minds, even before they met. Maria, a self-proclaimed romantic, put it this way. I always kind of visualized in a marriage and with a family, never saw myself with a man, never visualized myself in any type of wedding dress or anything like that. But I knew that that was the life I wanted in regards to being married. Um, So it was never, I was questioning how I was going to get there. It was just kind of like, of course, it's going to happen for me. I'm going to find my spouse and I'm going to follow the path of that. I don't care what the laws are. Kirsten saw things a little differently. And then I grew up always imagining myself in the big white uh, ball gown and going down the aisle. And I didn't necessarily have a picture of who was going to be there. Uh, It was just that I was excited about being a bride. That was um, important to me. And then when, um, when I did realize that I was queer, that never changed in terms of whether I could or couldn't get married. Ultimately, when it came to finally marrying Maria, Kirsten knew that regardless of whether it was legal or not, the important thing about having a wedding was celebrating their love with the people that mattered most. I knew that we could have a wedding and whether it was recognized legally was a whole different story and something that we didn't have a lot of control in. But we could control committing our lives to one another in front of our friends and family or higher power in an event and decor and celebration, you know, worthy of our love. But as we learned in the last episode, it is important for marriage equality to be legally recognised. And on the 26th of June, 2015, the United States Supreme Court handed down a decision in Obergefell v. Hodges, a ruling that would make same-gender marriage and any gender marriage legal across the US. Remember Tia Nash, our photographer friend in New Orleans? Well, they got engaged to their fiancé, Steph, secretly and chose not to tell anyone until they knew what the Supreme Court decision was going to be. The announcement came a little earlier than expected. Here's Tia describing the day of June 26th when they first heard the news. I was heading to Philadelphia to go to a friend's wedding. Um, So I was flying up. Steph was already up in Philadelphia. I was flying there and I was on a layover in Atlanta by myself when I went to go buy coffee. And we didn't know. We had suspected that it was going to come at some point, but we didn't know that it was going to be announced that day. Um, So I was 
in the airport getting my coffee and then I like looked up at the television and I could see like when breaking news happens you know it's like the news and then there's the running thing and it just said like same-sex marriage legal in 50 states and I remember like just starting to cry <laughs> just like alone in um this coffee shop in the airport just like weeping and then I had to get on a second plane before I saw stuff there was like some lacrosse tournament happening so the plane was basically me and like high school boys and I was just like <laughs> I was like I was just looking around I was like where are the other queers like does anyone else realize like what's happening no one really seemed to understand but they could just like see me crying weeping and then I saw stuff and then we like celebrated one of our friends weddings um, and that was really beautiful. The rabbi like read the closing arguments from that case, um, which are like a pretty popular reading for queer weddings here in the United States. Um, it's a really beautiful reading. I always get weepy anytime I hear it. <laughs> Here's the wording that Tia was referring to. No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than they once were. For wedding professionals around the world, marriage equality was on the periphery. But this Supreme Court decision, which came a lot earlier than most expected, was a turning point in LGBTQ rights and signaled to the rest of the world that the party was just getting started. One of the biggest LGBTQ plus pride events, World Pride, made its way to New York City in 2018, and the party there was louder and prouder than ever. Kelly Bolch, who has been photographing weddings for 13 years, was asked by one company to participate in a float for the Pride Parade, photographing real-life queer couples having real-life weddings on top of a float as they marched down the street. Yeah, so essentially they were like, let's do something really out like crazy outlandish something brand new for world pride in new york and we are going to invite three same-sex couples to essentially get their get married on this float and they had bobby burke from queer eye being the officiant and then they had a, a like a wall of flowers as the backdrop and then they would have confetti guns just spray every time they said i do and kiss and then we're going down, you know, the main street. I forget which one it was even called. I was just so in the moment. But you just see everyone, just a sea of people surrounding the floats and screaming every time the confetti guns would go off. And I just, the feeling was so overwhelming of just a love, just full on love, right? And you're just like, wow, this would never have happened back when I first started shooting weddings. This would never, I never even thought. It's surreal just listening to the way that Kelly describes this moment. World Pride is a massive event, with hundreds of thousands of people attending each year. I get so amped when I hear about all these people in New York, cheering and celebrating as three queer couples got to be legally married in front of everyone. There are now 30-odd other countries with their own story of how marriage equality was passed. On the road to marriage equality, some stories, like Kelly just told, give us a picture of how momentous and victorious it's been for queer people to be given the right to marry. However, in many cases, members of the queer community have to endure terrible amounts of pain as they fight for their rights. In Australia in 2017, 
the government at the time orchestrated a national postal survey to determine the public's view on whether to legalise marriage equality. Tara from Dancing With Her takes it from here. Um, we... <laughs> so we had been putting together our magazine for probably about eight months before marriage equality passed. We we had this goal of creating a magazine. Um, Dancing With Her, I think it existed at that point for probably nearly a year online as a digital thing. And we knew that we wanted to create a wedding magazine. And so we'd been working towards that. I, I just have a lot of memories of all that really negative um, stuff in the media that, you know, about how if we ever had kids, how our, you know, how families would be disgusting and all of these really horrible, horrible things um, in the media. And, you know, having to have really tough conversations with um, family members and things like that. Tara is referring to a feature of the Postal Survey where the Australian government agreed to fund the campaigns for both sides of the argument. This meant taxpayers' money was being spent on ads telling the Australian public that marriage equality was going to be a destabilising force in our society. Of course, the arguments against marriage equality are thin. So the no campaign, that is, the side campaigning against changing the Marriage Act to include queer couples, relied heavily on fear-mongering by equating marriage equality with an attack on parents' rights. I'm going to play a couple of sound bites from the ads that were produced during this time. See if you can hear any mention of marriage in what they're talking about. School programs have no place teaching my son radical gender ideas that he might not be who he was born as. How am I supposed to protect my kids in the future from this stuff? You can say no. School programs? Protecting kids? This ad, titled The Gender Fairy, is using dramatic, looming music to mask the fact that it's grasping at straws to make a coherent argument against marriage equality. Despite this, the No campaign had a big budget and received enormous media attention. Naturally, this meant that the Australian public had been put in a position where they could openly express their harmful views. And in turn, this pressured a lot of people, including myself and Tara, to come out of the closet in order to stand up for our rights. I think that marriage equality vote um, meant that I was forced into having conversations with family members that I might not have had otherwise. I might have, you know, I was pretty comfortable with just brushing it off, to be honest, but it never really seemed like a problem. But then I was forced into a conversation to see if it was a problem, I guess. And so I remember a lot of those, um, you know, really negative conversations surrounding us. So it was a really emotional time. When the survey had concluded, and the results were announced, there was a massive, collective anxiety felt by hundreds of thousands of people across the country. And we were waiting for the news, and we heard the news, and both of us just sat there. We didn't, like, it was, I I still don't think that that period was really, like, a cause of celebration. Like, it was something incredible, and it was, you know, a huge step towards something amazing. But we still hadn't got to that amazing thing and we just had this lead up of all this awful stuff and all these awful conversations and, you know, where we lived at the time, there was 
signs plastered everywhere like we couldn't drive down the road without seeing a sign about how awful our relationship was you know we didn't live in a in a community that was supportive of that and so yeah we just sat there and we just sort of like i'm, I'm pretty sure we both cried because i still think about crying every time i think about that moment like this is a huge step but it's not the goal um if that makes sense so you know i know we see these amazing photos of you know, in Sydney where people were celebrating and throwing their arms up and things like that. And I see that, but that's not my experience. That's not how I felt in that moment at all. <laughs> Far from it. It was definitely the, the biggest thing in making our marriage union legal, but there's more beyond that as well. Tell me about that. What's the more beyond? The more beyond is, is having a society that accepts our relationship, that celebrates our love um, inclusively and not in a way that is just celebratory of our sexuality, if that makes sense. I think for me, I, you know, the goal is to have a society that is welcoming and accepting and, you know, where people can be free to be who they are without, you know, fear of discrimination and fear of what might be. Across the globe, queer people are asking and in some cases begging for acceptance. More than just to be able to marry who they love, but to be themselves, true and authentic. When queer people do get married, it's particularly important that their wedding vendors provide a safe space for them, where they can celebrate their love without feeling boxed in or that they have to fit a certain mould. I met someone who figured out how to do this, and built an extremely successful business in the process. My name is Latoya Papillon-Her. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a wedding minister and I serve couples here in the US that are looking to prioritize and celebrate their moments at the altar together and celebrate their union in a way that feels authentic and natural for them. Minister Latoya has got to be one of the most warm and genuine humans that I've had the pleasure of meeting. In the last few years, under the banner Waning Moon Weddings, she has officiated over 500 legal ceremonies and is the author of the book Laughter at the Altar, a guide to creating meaningful moments and magic at the wedding altar. I had um, a bride completely break out in hives at the wedding altar once, you know, and she was just, and, and there were like four guests, you know, we didn't even have big guests. She just completely flushed, covered in hives by the end of the ceremony, but I think that we underestimate how heavy the emotions are at the wedding altar. Inspired by the historical Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage, Minister Latoya began serving couples that wanted radical support and someone to facilitate a sacred space for them during their wedding formalities. You mentioned that you are creating a sacred space, and this might be a this might sound like a stupid question, but what's sacred about it? Um, okay, so that that's actually not a stupid question. It's a great question. So a sacred space is defined as a divine place that you have decided this is safe for you to put down your spiritual emotions, for you to put down your, um, you know, whatever hardships you carry and things like that. So when you're at the wedding altar, you take on a flow of emotions. You're thinking about your family members that aren't there. You're thinking about the crazy family relationships of the people that are there. <laughs> you're thinking about everything that you've experienced with this person standing before you and you're holding on to all of your own emotions, you know. I 
make it my my point to carry that load for them and so throughout the whole process of us working together and me getting to know them i remind them um what don't don't you don't have to carry that shit you know you don't have to carry that shit you could have one guest or 150 guests if you want to cry i would i'm giving you permission to just cry without feeling judged if you need to slow down how you're speaking, you have permission to slow down and take deep breaths. And I'm going to take deep breaths with you. You know, I'm going to make sure the guests offer that space to you. That is my power up here, is to command this this space and this experience for this time. I'm going to press pause on Minister LaToya here. Our conversation was incredibly profound and comforting, if I'm honest. I promise we're going to unpack more of her wisdom in future episodes. But... For now, my main takeaway from the time that I spent with Minister LaToya was that queer people have an inherent right to honour who they are and to not have to conform to societal expectations. I want to jump back to my interview with Tia Nash, who told me this story of when they were attending a friend's wedding as a guest with their fiancé, Steph, and the realisation that they had about not needing to conform. So I had like, I was like, okay, what do I wear to this wedding? Um, And so I bought like a kind of like long dress to wear to it because I was like, this is what I have to wear. And then at the wedding, her dad like didn't recognize me. He like is such a character and such like a big personality. And he was always like super friendly with me. And he was like, who are you? He like literally asked me, who are you? And I was like, oh shoot, I didn't need to wear this. That's like the last time that I wore like very femme clothing. Cause I was just like, "Uh, actually this is not who I am. People who know me don't even recognize me as this. I don't recognize me as this. And then the rest is history. (laughs) Beyond the freedom that queer people have as a result of having the right to marry someone of any gender, Another, perhaps unintended, effect of marriage equality has been the gift of queer people getting to attend these celebrations. Just as Tia had their own realisation about not needing to dress femme anymore as a guest at a wedding, Maria and Kirsten Palladino fondly remember a queer wedding they attended where the guests' identities were just as celebrated as the couple's. I remember the, the happiness I felt for the couple, but also just being a participant in it. It was, it was beautiful. It was extravagant. It was fun. Um, we got to be there in a, a safe space too, because you go in that space, you can go as a couple to weddings and all these straight people around you dancing and having a great time, not even having to think about who they are in that moment. And this was a space where you, you now were one of those people. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, that was another feeling too, is that we, as a couple, we could go enjoy a wedding that we were completely welcome at um, and just be able to be ourselves at, as well as witness the love of two women getting married. What I loved is, at least on one side, if not both both sides, the attendants were a mixture of um, people who identified as, you know, all different genders, but they chose their attire. And what made me the happiest was having, um, you know, butch lesbians in, you know, silky vest rather than stuffed into a wedding gown because the people getting married wouldn't recognize them for their um, authentic gender identity or gender expression. They got to be who they were and be comfortable and be celebrated up front. And that was beautiful to me. So it's not just the queer couple who benefit from marriage equality. It's a broader celebration of queerness that has allowed guests to attend weddings without needing to conform. And beyond just the couple and the guests, 
Marriage Equality has created a new niche within the wedding industry for queer-owned businesses to be more authentic in their brand. Continuing my interview with Tia, I asked them about some specific wording they use as part of their website copy, where they've positioned themselves as a proudly queer-owned business. I want to read you something that's on your website, so I'm sure you're familiar with it. But when you are talking about your engagement to Steph, who is now your wife, you wrote, I could never quite shake the feeling that the wedding world wasn't built for us. The mainstream American wedding industry was built for cisgender, thin, white, straight couples. It wasn't built for my kind of love. Mm -hmm. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I think it's uh, that just came from my experience of like looking at people's websites, not seeing ourselves on it, going and getting our marriage license and not being like spouse one, spouse two. Even like the week before my wedding, our friends like surprised us with a bachelorette party. And I remember being given like a bride tiara and just being like, (laughs) Like, no, (laughs) I cannot wear this. It kept feeling like we were forced to do things that we didn't want to do. Um, and we were being told by like all of these checklists and all of these things that like, this is how this happens. And it just uh, wasn't what we wanted and it wasn't what I wanted and it just didn't feel good. So it was just like every step of the way we were reminded that like we're different and we're doing things not how they expected us to do it. By being honest and vulnerable about their personal experience getting married and putting that front and centre of their photography website, Tia is utilising their own unique selling proposition. Couples who hire Tia feel seen and understood. Heck, in reading their website, I felt seen and understood. So what have we learned today? We've learned that couples guests and vendors are all able to be more authentic as a result of marriage equality. As the queer community has done for decades now, queer weddings, by their very nature, are actively deconstructing societal norms that have perpetuated patriarchal, misogynistic and homophobic traditions. In my opinion, the ability for queer people to be more authentic and embrace their identities leads to two interesting outcomes. One, We're seeing more authentic branding coming from the wedding industry, and this builds better trust between business and people planning their weddings. Businesses are having to reckon with the fact that people want bespoke and tailored services that cater to their individual needs and identity, rather than just a cookie-cutter wedding package. This is something we'll unpack further in the next episode. Secondly, better overall health and mental well-being outcomes across the board discriminatory practices will be called out and capitalism will run its course. This is an extremely optimistic outlook for people working in the wedding industry. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Next time on First Look, the highs and the lows of being queer in the wedding industry. They're like, oh, wow, wow. Oh, and then then all of a sudden it was like, why are we whispering? We're whispering in the booth, you know? Because then it was, oh, go over and talk to Billy. So it's like, okay, is this, a, is this an underground railroad for gay weddings? What am I in, right? I sold my car, I quit my job, I packed my bags, and I moved to New York City. So when I would meet clients, I felt like me as a person who I presented wasn't the same person that I presented online. First Look is written, recorded, and produced by me, Hank Paul. 
A big thanks to everyone who jumped on the microphone. I'm honoured to share and preserve these stories. Special thanks to my brother, Josh Paul, who helped push me to the finish line and provided some really great input along the way. If you liked this podcast, you can support me by writing a review, subscribing, or simply screenshotting your podcast player right now and sharing on Instagram. You can tag me at hankpaul.co. I would love to connect. And if you want more content or you just want to support the show, you can head over to www.firstlookpodcast.com and sign up for VIP access, where you can pay what you want and listen to all of the interviews I conducted for the series completely unedited. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. First Look is brought to you by Queer Wedding Ally Training. In 10 years' time, one out of five weddings will be queer. The queer wave is coming. And with that, the people who work in the wedding industry need to adapt. If you're not offering an inclusive experience for all couples, your business is going to get left behind. Queer Wedding Ally Training will give you the tools that you need to be a better ally in just seven days. You'll learn the fundamentals of queer inclusive language, how to create a welcoming environment without feeling awkward or tokenistic, and how to stay relevant in a fast-changing industry. You'll gain access to four video modules, plus a bunch of bonuses, including the all-new bonus audio training, three proven strategies to book more queer weddings. For more information and how to sign up, head to www.queerweddingallies.com. That's queerweddingallies.com.